with Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Nolan. Great job finding all those different passages, by the way. Uh, well, good afternoon. It's great to be with you all. For those of you who are new, maybe joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. And Uh, We are walking through the Ten Commandments, and what we've been saying in the Ten Commandments is uh, the Ten Commandments, just like any of God's commands, they're never the means by which we enter the kingdom of God. That only happens through God's kindness extended to us through Jesus. However, as people who have received grace, we want to be people who are marked by grace, Right? And the Ten Commandments help us do that. God gives us the Ten Commandments as the roadmap of how to enjoy God and to love others. Uh, the Ten Commandments give us the roadmap of how to live like Jesus. Jesus followed the Ten Commandments flawlessly. That's why he brought so much life to people around him. And uh, so what we're looking at this afternoon is the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Hopefully most of you, it's, it's a must-see. It's a classic, right? And so it's set in 1938, I believe, and you have Sean Connery who plays Indiana Jones' dad, and then you have Harrison Ford who plays Indiana Jones. And there's a scene where they're in the car together, and Indiana Jones, he curses using the name of Jesus Christ. And his dad, Sean Connery, slaps him across the face, and he goes, that's for blasphemy. And... I think, like, even as a kid, you know, as you watch that, I think there's two things you think. First is, it's kind of like, really, man? You're in the middle of Third Reich, Nazi Germany. Like, this is the thing that you're going to choose to get physical with someone about? And then, but second, I think for most of us, when we hear about taking the Lord's name in vain, like, this is mainly what we think about, right? Just not using God's name as a curse word. And it certainly includes that, but it's far more broad than that as well. And so uh, here's what we'll look at as we look at this commandment. We'll just ask two questions of it. So first we'll ask, what's prohibited in the third commandment? And then because God's commands always lead us to do good for others, second we'll ask, what's the good produced when we do follow the third commandment? So first, like, what prohibitions are included in the third commandment? And then second, what's the good produced when we do follow it. All right, so first number one, uh, what is uh, prohibited in the third commandment? And so this word vain here, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, You can translate that as empty or to use falsely. And so one of the ways you can translate this command is 
don't treat God's name as empty or don't use God's name falsely. And right away we can see, I mean, just the sheer breadth of what must be covered under this. But let's just look at a, at a few broad categories of what's included in this prohibition. So what's the first way we could misuse God's name? And the first way is we use, it's when we use God's name to advance an alternative agenda. It's using God's name as a vehicle to pursue the thing that you're really after, to pursue your real God. And we see an example of this in Acts chapter 8, where the gospel is going forward, and Peter and the apostles are out. And there's this cat, Simon the magician, and he's a savvy businessman, and he asked to purchase, he wants to purchase the Holy Spirit. And the reason he wants to do it is because he feels like if he has the Holy Spirit, he can now use it to enhance his wealth. And so Peter rebukes, rebukes him, something to the effect of, you know, may your silver perish with you, Simon, because Simon wants to use the Lord's name for his own purposes. And so what are a couple ways that we may be tempted to do that today? The sermon may be very list-heavy, by the way, just a fair warning in advance, okay? Um, So one way we use God's name to advance an alternative agenda. Uh, Something as simple but pernicious as praying in public differently than you do when you're alone in your bedroom, right? Using more high, lofty, florid language, adopting a different posture because what's your agenda? Because you want to impress the people listening to you. Or using God's name to affirm a cultural norm or a nominal Christianity kind of thing, right? So a God and country type slogan, right? That sounds righteous to a lot of people who use it. Really, they're just slapping on God's name to pursue a different agenda. Or this was really convicting to me. Not that we do this as a church, but it just still convicted me. So like experience-oriented Christianity where people view the church as the place you can go as a consumer to get a great experience, right, with, like, amazing music and teaching. And so you leave. I've heard people talk this way. They leave with a euphoric feeling not so different than with the feeling they leave with when they go to see their favorite musician in a concert, right? And so, and and if that's not happening, then something's wrong with you or something's defective with the church, or you, that's why you have a personal devotion, because you need to feel good things. And what's going on here, right? You're using God to pursue another God, the God of good feelings. You don't want God for who he is in and of himself, and actually to be formed into a disciple who's more others-oriented rather than self-oriented. So that's the first way we can violate this commandment, just using God's name to pursue another agenda. Second, how can we violate this? We can violate it by disregarding God's full nature. Because the name of God, that's synonymous with the sum of his character. And so we, we take his name in vain when we don't misrepresent the totality of who he is fairly. And so here, here's an example. So one of the most common regular teachings in scripture is that God is transcendent and unrivaled in the creator, but also he's super near and super close to you. And you'll find that so much of maturity in the Christian life is learning to approach God as both of these things together. Because so for some of you, um, you may be, you may be great when it comes to the transcendence of God, the glory of God, right? But the, the downside of that is you, you tend to view God as more distant and removed, uh, he's more of the judge in the courtroom rather than the loving father in the living room. 
or even when you talk with other people, other people who know you, like their impression of you is that God to you is more of this ethereal reality. He's more of an idea. He's up there rather than the one who's nearer to you than you are to yourself and like actually really real and really present with you. Or the flip side, I mean, some of you guys are great when it comes to the brotherliness of Jesus, that he loves to weep with you and rejoice with you, but you forget that he's transcendent and unrivaled. And there's this movie, and came out in 95, I believe, called American President, an Aaron Sorkin film. And apparently Aaron Sorkin always has Martin Sheen play a role like in the White House and in politics. It happens in the West End as well. But so you have the president, he's President Shepard, and then you have this guy, AJ, who's the chief of staff. And these two men, they've been lifelong friends. And there's a scene where AJ, the chief of staff, he's looking at his friend, the president, and he keeps calling him Mr. President in this meeting. And when they're done, the president... President Shepard, he pulls him aside and he goes, AJ, for crying out loud, you were the best man in my wedding. Just call me Andrew. And AJ's response is, whatever you say, Mr. President. And like, there's something to that because what AJ understood was that to reduce the title, right, of the one that he was serving, it would compromise his ability to serve the president. And so it is with God, where when we go to worship Jesus, when we pray to Jesus, when we talk with Jesus, like, yes, we need to know his gentleness and his sympathy, but while he is your friend, he's not your equal. And this is good news, because if Jesus is just your friend, and he's not the Lord, he's not the one sustaining the universe, then he can't help you with your deepest needs, if he's not the Lord, if he's not the only one who can raise the dead, then he can't, he can't make your heart new. He can't help you when all their sources of strength go away. He can't help you when all their sources of light go out. He can't satisfy the deepest longings of your soul when you continue to try to, when you continue to, try to suck infinity out of finite sources. But he is the Lord, and he can help you, and he's near as he does so. Because there's a, a goodness when we're brought into when we, when we recognize and approach Jesus in the fullness of who he is. Finally, number three, what's the way that we can violate this commandment? Is we violate this commandment, we treat God's name as empty when we live for our name rather than God's name. And I remember this moment when I was in eighth grade and I was going to my brother's sports game. It was a Friday night. He was a great athlete. So I show up at the high school. I show up late. Game had already started. Stadium's packed. And I'm not even at the bleachers yet. And one of my friends, you know, runs up to me. He goes, you know, Steve, you, you, you got to get in here. Like, I've got, I've got a seat reserved for you. Everyone is screaming your brother's name because he was such a good athlete. And I remember thinking, when I'm a senior... I want that to be me, right? Like, I didn't want to become a good athlete for love of the sport. I wanted people to hallow my name. And you say, okay, well, those are maybe just the vain musings of a eighth grade Steve, and they are. But, I mean, for each of us, sometimes it can get worse as an adult, like, how much of it where we do want God's name 
to be hallowed and to be known, but it's like, I want God's name to be seen and recognized. I just want my name to be recognized and seen just a little bit more. And so you may not be the type of person who wants to be in the, in the middle of the crowd. Uh, I no longer want to be. It's one of the greatest ironies that he made me a pastor. Um, but it may, it may look like people, you just want people to, to see you as smart or for people to see you as attractive or for people to see you as competent or just put together in some way where when they look at you, they see your gifts or they see your looks, but they don't see the Christ who you serve. That, that is a take, that's a treating his name as empty, right? We want our name to be recognized rather than his. So these are just a, a few ways of, like, oh my gosh, this commandment's really hard. Like, I generally haven't sworn too much in my life. I thought I was doing pretty good until I started studying this. Okay, so those are, that's how we can violate the third commandment. And so now we have to ask, because God's commands always lead us to the good for ourselves and for other people, uh, what is the good produced when we do follow this command? So first, what happens? We honor God's name and don't treat it as empty. When we honor his total character, it brings life to other people. And how so? Well, one of the ways it does this is when you recognize the power of words— And have you ever noticed that words are so powerful that if you simply talk about somebody in a distasteful way, you and those listening to you actually begin to view that person with greater disdain, right? Your words actually form your heart to view them in a different light. And on the flip side, you know, if you you speak, and or think about yourself, right? The more you repeat certain lies about yourself, you, you actually begin to believe it. And on the flip side, though, when we speak positive things and life-giving things about other people, it changes how we think and feel toward other people. And so it is with God. And so just consider, as you talk about God with other people, I mean, what is the, and yes, like, goodness, we went through the Psalms last summer, God gives us so much permission to lament, to cry out to him, to say, like, these offensive things. But is the main ground note of your life, you know, do people pick up on the impression that God is stingy, that God is distant, that he's not really with you, that he doesn't care about your longings? Or do you speak life-giving truths about God's abundance and his life-giving nature? And just this past week, I was talking with an old friend, and uh, he was just reminding me of God's reality, of the fact that God loves to bring light into dark places, reminding me that when I obey God, I actually bring heaven to earth for myself and for other people. And it it shifted me, right? Because he was reminding me of God's true name and true character. So that's one thing that happens. We bring life to others. Second, what happens when we honor God's name, we don't misuse it, it protects people. When you take even a good thing, but you make it your absolute, and God becomes just the vehicle to achieve that end, people get hurt. And a very clear example of this is, think about the church, right? So the church is a good thing. The church is the bride that Jesus has chosen to propose to. The church is God's main way that he matures disciples. 
The church is the way that he proclaims the manifold wisdom of God in heavenly places, as Ephesians 3 says. The church is a good thing. But how many stories have surfaced in the news about church leaders, be it at the very top or further downstream, who use the church as a means for selfish gain rather than to humbly care for the sheep who Jesus purchased with his own blood? And how does that happen? Right? And, and rarely, I mean, none of us should ever think we're above this, okay? because rarely do people who go into ministry, like, they want that to be the end. But what happens is a good thing is happening, okay? The church is growing, new disciples are being made, people are getting converted, marriages are being healed. But then that good thing now becomes the absolute thing, so much so to where people in the church will justify violating God's law just to keep the name of the establishment going, Okay, and so leaders will justify being harsh to their staff because, come on, guys, we've got to keep the mission going. <laughs> or they'll drive their volunteers in the ground because we've got to keep the mission going. Or accusations of abuse will surface, and we have to not investigate that because that may tarnish the name of the, of, of, the, tarnish the, name of the organization. And so God gives us thir- the third commandment to protect people, both the people who are victims and the leaders from becoming self-deceived to think they're actually acting in the name of the Lord. So what the third commandment calls us to do, and this applies to all of us, is nothing less than a thoroughgoing love and obedience to the Lord without compromise. Regardless of what we feel like the repercussions may be, regardless of what we think external success may be. That's why it really matters here. Like, our, our church has grown in the last year, I love it. Like, that, that's a good thing that's happening is more people are encountering Jesus. But we have to make sure from the leaders all the way down, we're, that's why I read 1 Corinthians 10, right? We're doing everything for God's glory, not using God's glory for our glory. Okay, so that we can all walk in health and protect others. So it gives life to others, it protects others. Number three, when we follow the third commandment, we bear witness to Christ, and this hit me as I came across an article in The Spectator. It came out a little while ago. The author's name is Ben Sixsmith, and he's not a Christian, but he was talking about a trend. He's no- the article is called The Sad Irony of Celebrity Pastors. And he was talking about a trend he's noticed, not just in church leaders, but just in Christians as a whole, where he calls it the with a twist of Christianity trend, where Christians, they have an end they want to pursue, so be it money, career success, sex, you know, recognition, and they just slap Jesus' name onto it to help them achieve or to help them appear more virtuous in some way or just to give them some kind of solace because they know they're going to heaven when they die. And here's what he says. It, it's worth quoting at length because um, I think he puts his finger on this really well. So he writes, if I can unstick my papers... There is mainstream culture, celebrities, fashion, music, political activism, and a message of self-love, but with a twist of Christianity. We see the with a twist of Christianity trend elsewhere. Falwell was representative of right-wing, business-oriented evangelicals who offer self-enrichment, but with a twist of Christianity. Then there are progressive Christians who promote the usual left-wing causes, but with a twist of Christianity. While different in beliefs, such people share patterns of thought 
The former believe secular individualists mysteriously share God's, witness, God's wishes for what should be done with money, while the latter think secular progressives mysteriously share God's, God's wishes for what should be done with bodies. So, if Christianity is such an inessential add-on, why become a Christian? I am not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, oh man, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their belief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. This is someone who doesn't follow Jesus, observing vain Christianity. And what he is looking for is, can somebody show me that Jesus offers different, a different lifestyle and values than that of the world? I thought he remained you know, even extremely charitable to believers as he's making this judgment. And so for you, I, this hit me, and I want to challenge you, be so careful that you're in your efforts to not offend people with the teachings of Jesus, that you don't show them that there's actually something different about following Jesus that's more than just the life after death thing. Right, because for every few people that may be offended by the teachings of Jesus, there is somebody desperately wondering, does Jesus have anything different or more beautiful to show me when it comes to what success looks like? Looks like? When it comes to what we should do with sex and bodies? When it comes to how we should pursue our deepest longings? When it comes to what does an up-and-to-the-right lifestyle look like? Somebody wants to see, does Jesus offer anything different than that of the world? And so the third commandment invites you into pure and unadulterated worship of Jesus. That he's worth it. And when you do, it not only brings joy to you, but it bears witness to his name as you do it. And that is so powerful. Okay, so it bears witness to the name of Jesus. When we don't just treat his name as empty, right, and actually follow him as Lord. Number four, what's the good produced? We finally enjoy living as we are meant to live. We finally enjoy living as we are meant to live. And did you notice that really pesky and scary second half of the commandment? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And if you have any kind of self-awareness, you read this and you go, oh, oh no, like Lord save me from the third commandment. Because we violate it all the time. And even as we see how good it is, right, how it gives life to others, how it protects other people, when we bear witness to Jesus, we still violate it all the time, but God says so clearly, I will not hold him guiltless who treats my name as empty. And this is why it's so good that we have a bigger perspective than the Israelites as we view this commandment. And the Israelites, they did have a good perspective. So God tells them right before this, we looked at this week one, 
God promises steadfast faithfulness to them. I will never leave you or forsake you. You're my treasured possession. But then he says stuff like, I won't hold him guiltless who violates the third commandment. So, like, how do those, thi- how do those two things go together? And if the Israelites are like little children who don't quite understand why their parents are telling them not to cross the street before looking both ways, we're like adults who have a bigger perspective. And so as we read this commandment, we, we, do, we do want to feel the weight of it. Okay, I, I hope you guys feel the weight of it. But more than feeling the weight of it, what God wants you to feel is the weight of his grace. Because what did you, what did you hear read um, at the start of, of the message? Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Right, Jesus, who is equal with God, who shared the same supremacy of God, who has the name of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself of his glory, taking on the form of a servant. And when he was in human form, he never once violated the third commandment. He never used God's name to pursue an alternative agenda. He always used God's word to bring life and not death. He never used his own status to disadvantage others in order to advantage himself. And then, how was he treated at the end of his life for following the third commandment perfectly? The Lord didn't hold him guiltless. Why? So that you and I who do violate the third commandment can be treated as not guilty. When Jesus went to the cross and absorbed the judgment that you deserve, and this wasn't just a legal thing, like the things that you're the most insecure about, the things that you dislike the most about yourself, the things that you feel like repel God the most, that's what Jesus precisely went to the cross for. Why? So that you can have life in his name. And what name is it that you get to have life in? What does the end of Philippians 2, 5 through 11 say? And God has highly exalted him bestowing on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so as we think about connecting this to the ground and finally living as you were meant to live, there's so much talk about identity now, probably more than ever, and meaning. And yet we seem more frenetic about it than ever before as well. We're all running around, you trying like, who am I? Am I worthy? Or am I expressing myself in the right way? And we're all exhausted, and it's not working. And so what does the gospel say about who you are? In the gospel, it says that when you trust Jesus, he takes his name that's higher than every other name and places it on you. That's what baptism is about. This should add meaning to your baptism, right? Jesus says, be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When you get baptized, and we'll have a baptism service coming up, for those of you who haven't been baptized, you can. God stamps his name on you in, it, in a way so much higher than you. To think about a mother sending her kid off to summer camp and she writes the family name on the jacket to say this jacket belongs you know, to the Reed family. Jesus puts his name on you so that who you are is not your smarts or lack thereof. It's not what you're accomplishing or not accomplishing. Who you are and your only comfort in life or death is that you're not your own, but you belong body and soul 
to Christ Jesus, the risen Lord, and he belongs to you. And then now, out of this sense of self, you're empowered by his spirit to live for his name and to obey his commandments and have unceasing forgiveness and strengthening grace when you fail. And as an example of of what this looks like, uh, there's this guy named John the Baptist in John chapter 1. And John the Baptist, he's a cousin of Jesus, and he develops quite a following. So he's fairly successful by the world's standards. And people are trying to figure out, like, you know, what's your deal? Who are you? And he says, I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness, pointing to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, I'm just a voice in the wilderness. Like, that was who he knew he was. And this, this one pastor, Rich Velotis, uh, described like how this actually plays out when it comes to as you think about your identity and meaning. And so I just want to read it to you. So Rich Velotis, he says, John the Baptist is one of my favorite people. He knew who he wasn't. I'm not the Messiah. And he knew who he was. I'm a voice in the wilderness. Every day I need to get clear about who I am and who I am not. Otherwise, I find myself living a life God never called me to. Isn't that so good? I need, it's, I need to know who I am. Not, I'm not Christ. I'm not the one. I'm not the name that's supposed to be lifted up. I'm not the name that everybody's supposed to be paying attention to. But that doesn't mean I'm insignificant. It doesn't mean I don't have a purpose. Right? It means I get to be the voice in the wilderness. And oh man, the identity and significance that the world offers you, it's only for the gifted. It's only for those who get recognition. It's only those who can actually perform. But what I love about the identity and significance that Jesus gives you is it's for anybody. The wretched of the earth, the least of these can get this name. The least of these can be a voice pointing out to Jesus. Pointing to Jesus. That's who you are. So it doesn't matter where you are or what job you have or do not have. You can be a voice in how you work, in your neighborhood, and in your home. And as you do that, you get to give witness to the only name who will endure throughout the ages. So let's do that together as a church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing us Jesus even in the Ten Commandments. Um, I pray that uh, who we are in the gospel will uh, catch fire in a new way. And will you help us to see Jesus and be with Jesus as friend and Lord Uh, as we bear witness to his name this week. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for the kingdom you invite us into. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.